Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. A happy early 4th of July weekend to you, John, and it's especially happy for citizens of New Jersey like you, who for the first time ever can legally bet on the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Uh, John, two questions. Uh, first, the world needs to know your take. Is a hot dog a sandwich? And second, is soaking the buns in water against the spirit of hot dog eating, or are you cool with such corner-cutting techniques? Yeah, I'm not well-versed in the sandwich game, frankly. Oh, sorry. I couldn't resist that one. <laughs> well done, um, yeah. But I think a sandwich occasionally, sometimes, often, or always gets sliced in half. Um, like deli, almost always. A hamburger, rarely, but it, it happens. Uh, hot dogs, you know, I know five guys, which thankfully I gave up at least five years ago. Um, they did, or maybe they still do. Uh, they slice the hot dog vertically. But I think the key distinction is that even they don't split the bread. So maybe that's the Rosetta Stone here. Um, as far as the other question, um, for soaking the buns, I can't even watch this contest each year because of that. You hit a, a raw nerve with me. Um, <laughs> okay. I was down to Jersey Shore in the 1990s with my Midwestern board and future wife uh, when I folded my pizza slice in half. You know, She was so bothered by this, she said I was embarrassing her. And then I just <laughs> pointed around, and she noticed everyone else doing the same thing. But that's a regional thing. So that's different. I'm confident that ordering a hot dog, wolfing it down whole, then soaking the bun in water and gobbling nose down is never happened inside of this silly contest. I, mean, I propose a rogue hot dog eating contest, right? That forces people to eat hot dog everyone on earth eats it. Um, in fact, each week you can mix it up, I'm thinking. You know, pro tennis uh, players may specialize in hard courts, clay or grass, right? Mm -hmm. uh, these athletes here may be number one in eating plain dogs or those with sauerkraut or maybe various forms of all the way. So uh, I think that's quite a, a league potential and I'd watch it. <laughs> And now, excuse me while I head to the patent office. I think I'm onto something here. <laughs> I think you are. Yeah, wow. I, 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 I want to see, see if I can angle to get a little piece of that if it, uh, <laughs> if, if it turns into something. So uh, believe it or not, John, Merriam-Webster's website has a page devoted to whether a hot dog is a sandwich. Okay. And the conclusion, according to them, is that, yes, absolutely, it meets the definition. Uh, if served on a bun, 
a hot dog is a sandwich, according to Merriam-Webster. Um, meanwhile, uh, I, I have to be honest, I can't watch competitive eating contests. I yeah. get so grossed out. I can't yep. take it. Uh, now, you know, a boxer having Q-tips shoved into a gaping wound over his eye, no problem. I can watch that. <laughs> but uh, but dudes gagging on hot dogs, nope, uh, can't do it. So, uh, so e- even if I were to bet this, which I won't be, and I can't in Pennsylvania, but if I were to bet it, I wouldn't be able to sweat this one by watching it. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, do they have compulsive hand washing? I, I think that would be like <laughs> kind of amazing to watch, but I, I don't know if I want to encourage it. Right. <laughs> All right. So many new uh, contests and opportunities springing up in this world <laughs> in which normal sports are hard to find. <laughs> uh, so thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 98 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 97 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, and write us a lovingly worded review. And Eric, coming up a little later in the show, we'll be joined by Press of Atlantic reporter David Dances. He's going to discuss the reopening of Atlantic's casinos this holiday weekend, all but Borgata. Um, reopening plans have changed a bit this week due to some major modifications announced by Governor Murphy. So a lot to discuss with David. But first, it's been a, eh, I don't know, not so busy news week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Our first news story will be relatively brief because it's a follow-up to something we discussed last week, but it's an important development worth spotlighting. DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to Illinois thanks to a market access deal announced Tuesday with Casino Queen in East St. Louis. The sports betting law in Illinois initially appeared to put DraftKings and FanDuel in the so-called penalty box because they offered DFS in the state when the legality was questionable, and they were expected to have to wait 540 days, roughly a year and a half, to enter the market. Standalone mobile sports books without a land-based partner would also have to pay $20 million for a license, double the cost for others. But DraftKings found its loophole by making this market access deal with Casino Queen, And FanDuel is reportedly close to purchasing the horse racing track Fairmount Park. As our colleague Chris Altruda reported, the speculation is that DraftKings will launch in Illinois by the middle of this month, possibly giving them the jump on FanDuel. Because Illinois is such a major populous state, I consider this a major story. John, anything to add after we touched last week on what it might mean for Illinois sports betting if this happened? Uh, And should we expect FanDuel to finish up its Illinois market access deal any second now? Yeah, my first thought is that, uh, you know, you have a lot of money as a company when you can just buy a horse racing track as a lost leader in order to get (laughs) something more lucrative. Um, but I'll give you a wild speculation alert. Um, both DFS giants have enormous and influential lobbying arms. Uh, that much we know for sure. And here, I, I think they're able to use their influence to pitch the legislators that they should not be penalized and shouldn't have to wait. Um, you know, the previous winning argument here sounds eerily like the sentiment of a previous gamble on guest, Baruch College Gaming Law Professor Mark Edelman. And it has philosophical validity. I mean, you know, these guys are so big that, you know, they don't have to ask uh, permission. They just ask for forgiveness. Just have to, ooh, you know, find me a million dollars. Oh, no, you know, and they're not really going <laughs> to care. Whereas a small fry, you know, I could put them out of business. So it's not really a level playing field, but that's sort of life in the, in the big city. Um, you know, it has to be frustrating to those other operators. They, they couldn't risk that risk, but that, that's just how it is. So if Illinois wants to gain the maximum tax revenues ASAP, which is now what every state does, uh, this is the path. And so it's inevitable for both of them. 
Yep. Inevitable is the word that was kind of in my mind uh, going through all, all, all this. Uh, you know, we were sort of teased the idea that they might have to wait, but uh, we kind of sensed all along it, it was that they'd find some way around it. Um, I think this does now give Illinois a shot at becoming the top sports betting state in the U.S. around that end of 2021 timeframe that we discussed last week. Uh, and as you touched upon, it's got to be a big disappointment to the competitors, particularly Rush Street uh, with their Bet Rivers site, uh, who were really uh, said to be the ones behind the push for the penalty box. They are currently the only online sports book up and running in the state. Uh, their time at the top will be short lived now. Uh, but like I said, this is a rel relatively brief news item for us to cover. I, I don't have much more to say about it. Shall we move on? Yeah, other than just to say, FanDuel and, and DraftKings have been a game for the last several years. They figured out what they can get away with, what they can't, you know, what they can do. And uh, they seem to be, you know, winning at every turn. Yep. All right. Moving on to our next story here. We talked a couple of weeks ago about your casino reopening visits in Connecticut. Now it's my turn after setting foot inside a casino for the first time since COVID-19 started affecting our daily lives. Parks Casino in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania, about 20 minutes from my house, opened up on Monday morning and I was there to report on the scene. As I promised I would, I spoke to a couple of gamblers. Uh, actually, I spoke to a whole crowd of gamblers when I announced to numerous people in line that I'd like to interview someone who's willing to talk about what brought them out to parks before doors were even scheduled to open. Several of them blurted out, addiction. Uh, it was good to see they had a sense of humor and or were very honest with themselves. Uh, but when I actually interviewed a couple of people one-on-one -on -one, uh, outside uh, from at least six feet away, I got the cringeworthy quote that I was looking for from a 33-year-old woman who preferred not to give me her name, who said, to be honest with you, I'm over the masks and everything. If I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. It is what it is. <sighs> Honestly, John, the, the people there depressed me. Um, there's often an element of that at casinos, but usually you have some of the party atmosphere at the table games to balance it out. That wasn't the case here. Of course, it was barely 9 a.m., but still, uh, the social distancing measures made it hard for people to let loose while gambling. Um, but speaking of the social distancing measures, parks appeared to be following all the protocols with a mask requirement, temperature checks at every entrance, sanitizer stations, plexiglass dividers. About the only dangerous place I saw was the center bar where people were drinking at 9 a.m. Uh, and had their masks off. Uh, Illinois casinos also opened this week, and we'll be talking shortly with David Danzis about Atlantic City. So there's a lot going on with reopening uh, and possible reclosing based on what we're hearing about Las Vegas. Uh, John, any thoughts on what I wrote about my trip to parks or any other thoughts on the summer 2020 casino experience? Uh, yeah, I'm here in Atlantic City as we chat on Thursday uh, in between visits to the five casinos opening today and I'll be visiting three more here on Friday. Um, I find your experience particularly interesting because the COVID-19 epicenter in the early days, of course, was in New York, the area, and that included North Jersey and Connecticut. And other than some Manhattan bar hotspots of late, compliance with the precautions has been really excellent in the region. Now, Eastern Pennsylvania isn't quite in that zone. You know, South Jersey has not been nearly as devastated yet anyway. So, uh, but even so, it's in the Northeast and the, you know, the news is out there. Um, I thought they'd be a little more sensitive than, uh, you know, out West, but um I think the most important thing is that I do expect strong compliance from PA regulators, the, uh, Pennsylvania. They're not going to just let the guests get away with anything. Though since they can drink and you can't here in Atlantic City, you know, that's going to be a bit of a challenge. Um, you know, because however busy your customers are and not paying attention to this stuff, you know, the regulators have to enforce social distancing and mask 
guidelines. I think they will. I mean, in Pennsylvania, that ain't Vegas. Yeah, Pennsylvania is just an interesting state politically. Obviously, it's a, a swing state and a very purple state with very extreme blue and extreme red. And so I, I think that part of what I was witnessing was Governor Wolf has treated the COVID pandemic as if we, as if Pennsylvania is New Jersey or New York. He's been taking it very seriously and really shutting things down. And so I think that uh, the, the woman I spoke to spoke for a certain percentage of Pennsylvanians who are just sick of being told what to do by the governor. There's certainly that going on. Um, in terms of walking around the casino, uh, I, I would imagine you you quickly get used to all the plexiglass. Uh, but the one thing that really looked weird that, that, that takes a lot of getting used to is the craps table. That is just such a social game. And to have six individual player spots and yeah. three casino employee spots, each divided by plexiglass, uh, it, it just doesn't look like craps. I don't know if you had the, the same reaction seeing it uh, in Connecticut. Yeah, not only did I, you know, see that, but the first tweet I did on June 1st when I mentioned getting to uh, uh, Foxwoods, I got three people immediately said, show me the craps table. Like, that's exactly the thing they wanted to see. So I got a shot of it right away and, and posted it. Um, so people have that in mind. And it is very weird. It really is. I mean, uh, I don't even know what to say. Beyond, but, uh, you know, people are going to have to get used to uh, some limitations. Yeah. And, you know, and then and then in comparison to this very different looking casino atmosphere in, in Pennsylvania, there are some casinos in Vegas that we saw videos of that reopened and looked more like the casino experience we remember. And they're paying the price now. And it seems pretty clear to me that some Vegas reclosings are coming. Um, you know, will Governor Sisolak fully shut it all back down again? Or will there just be stricter rules and some casinos maybe will close on their own because they're not making enough money for it to be worthwhile? I, I don't know. But the virus is winning in the US. It's kicking our asses collectively as a country. Uh, our, our response has not worked compared to every other country. And unfortunately for the casinos and their employees, they're not essential businesses. If governors are forced to decide between keeping casinos open and shutting stuff down so that schools have a shot at opening in September, uh, I think that's not likely to end well for casinos in many states. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about uh, this more with David Danzis, but New Jersey will be an interesting test case because they waited longer. So you can't really say they rushed it uh, as much as other states did. And the governor's rules are extremely strict. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, one thing I, I almost forgot, uh, there was a union official who was complaining about Monday, Governor Murphy you know, kind of did a switcheroo and said, oh, yeah, you can still open the casinos, but you just can't smoke or drink or eat, you know. Right. So other than that, other than that have a good time. And what he said, uh, this is an Irishman like me, and I went to 12 years of Catholic school. That's what he said. It's just like Catholic school when they say, you know, one of you kids screwed up, and if you don't admit who you are, then you're all going to be punished. And uh, that's kind of what happened in New Jersey. I mean, the, like I said, compliance is phenomenal. There were a handful of uh, Jersey Shore beach bars that were outrageous. Hundreds of people with no masks on you know, cheek to jowl. It was ridiculous. But, you know, for that to then say to everybody, including businesses on the on the brink and say, you know, you're screwed because this guy didn't listen. Uh, you know, that doesn't that that's not even that political uh, necessarily. That's sort of like, you know, really, I'm, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And this guy is a knucklehead to use Governor Murphy's favorite <laughs> word. And so now I, I can't open it. Uh, it that's the one thing is turning Murphy a little bit. He's got a very high, you know, popularity rate right now. But um, that one is not winning a lot of people over. 
Yeah, I had I had a gym teacher in high school who used the word knucklehead all the time. But I think Governor Murphy has replaced him now that when I hear the word knucklehead, that that's who I'll think of first now is Governor Murphy. Yeah, me too. All right. Our final story this week is a fun one. Uh, we, we need some fun after this depressing COVID talk, I think. Um, although what seems like a fun story to us might not be for the MGM sports books. Uh, one time Gamble On podcast guest Doug Kazarian broke this story for ESPN.com about betters in Las Vegas who appeared to take advantage of lines on Korean and Chinese baseball games that started one hour earlier than the sports book realized they did. <laughs> the bet MGM software at kiosks allowed bettors to make their quote unquote pregame bets an hour into the games and have a huge edge. For example, one game was scoreless in the fifth and tickets came in on under nine total runs in another game. There were seven runs scored through two innings. So the bets were on over nine and a half total runs. Another bet was on a plus plus one fifty underdog that got out to a 10 to two lead in total. MGM is on the hook for nearly a quarter million dollars, including one 10 leg parlay worth $137,000. Uh, however, the Nevada gaming control board is investigating and has not yet reached a determination on whether the bets will be voided. According to Doug's story, the standard move with sports books in a situation like this is to tell the better they can keep their winnings, but they're permanently banned from the sports book, or else they can have the bet voided and be allowed to keep playing there. I would think you would do the latter for one or two small bets if that's all you have, but probably not if you're the $137,000 parlay dude. Uh, John, I'm sure your mind flashes back here to the glitch in New Jersey in that 2018 Broncos Raiders game. Although this wasn't a glitch, this was a preventable mistake by the operator that they didn't catch in time. So... Should the betters get to keep their money for finding a way to get an edge over the house? Yeah, I'm thinking of New Jersey's top regulator, David Reebuck, speaking at the G2E industry event in Las Vegas shortly after that Broncos Raiders game you mentioned. And, uh, you know, the European regulators are used to just voiding any blunders. And so are European betters. That's how it works over there. Um, but in class Jersey fashion, you know, Reebok told the offending sports book, uh, you're going to pay for your mistake and you like it. Welcome to Jersey. Um, and so he's basically saying, look, if you guys aren't you know, competent enough to avoid these blunders, then maybe this, uh, this state's not for you. So uh, that's kind of how it works in Jersey. Um, I want to say I'm fascinated by the Vegas uh, cash out and you're out for life or walk away with no harm. I mean, uh, what a gamble there. Uh, I don't know the exact uh, details of Nevada gaming regulations, but um, that's a really creative choice, whoever came up with it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I share the New Jersey take that, uh, you know, you, you screwed up, pay it, pay it out. Uh, that the, I, I think that's the right attitude here. I mean, this is this is my perpetual annoyance with casinos. You know, they get their house edge. It's baked into everything. But the instant anyone gets an edge over them, they're demanding their money back. Uh, the Ivy Baccarat case, exactly. uh, the, the Ocean Magic online slots thing that I wrote about last year. These people, in my view, we're not cheating. They, they found edges that the house allowed them to have. Same with these baseball bettors. Uh, they should all be allowed to keep their money, in my opinion. Uh, if the house wants to ban them the same way they ban blackjack card counters, fine. That's, that's the recourse that I believe the casinos should rightfully have. But anything more than that is just being a sore loser. You know, you, you screwed up, casino. You got beat take your medicine. Uh, and, and, and you know what else? The story is good publicity uh, if they pay it out. You know, the, these yeah. sports books are having trouble drumming up interest in sports betting at the moment. 
paying these bettors helps encourage other gamblers to look into betting Korean baseball. Uh, the, the public certainly loves these stories. You know, the Ocean Magic thing got us huge traffic. They're making the Ivy Baccarat movie, although I guess it's not the Ivy movie. It's uh, what's her, uh, Kelly Sun. Uh, Sun, yeah. Um, they, uh, they could probably make an entertaining movie out of the Korean baseball bettors. Um, <laughs> th- there's a reason they make movies about card counters, but you've never seen a movie about the guy who sits down at a blackjack table with $1,000 and plays it straight and walks away two hours later with uh, 850 bucks remaining. Yeah, I mean, you think of points bet uh, New Jersey and also Patty Power in Ireland for many years. Uh, you know, they'll pay out bets that actually lost, but right. there was a bad call in the game, whatever. And like you said, it's the publicity far outweighs the cost of the bets. So here, yeah, and if they kind of take a big smile and say, boy, I can't believe we made this mistake, um, it does look good. And then, yeah, behind the scenes, they can just ban the guy. That's, that's up to them. Yeah. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. July 4th weekend is just about here, and the eyes of the gambling world are on Atlantic City, where casinos are poised to open their doors for the first time in three and a half months. But it's shaping up to be a lot more messy and a lot less celebratory than the community and the industry had hoped. Joining us now to share his insights on the ever-changing situation in Atlantic City is reporter David Danzis, who covers the casino beat for the AC Press. David, welcome to Gamble On. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me today. So the big news of the week is Governor Murphy reversing course on plans to allow indoor dining due to the rising COVID numbers nationwide and the early impact he's seen in Las Vegas from casino reopenings. And he won't allow alcohol to be served in the casinos either. Uh, So Borgata now will not open this weekend while the other properties in the state are planning to move ahead as of the recording of this interview on Wednesday afternoon. And by the time this podcast posts on Thursday, the expectation is that several of them will already be open. But David, can those properties turn a profit without food or drink? And would you expect the majority of them to stay open all summer and beyond? Or are some quick re-shutdowns likely coming? So uh, starting off with the, the heavy question right out of the gate. I like <laughs> Yes. <it. laughs> um, the, the answer to that is um, not only from my perspective, but, but the industry would tell you the same. Um, it, it really is an unknown, right? I mean, I, I don't want to overuse a word uh, that we've heard a lot over the last three months, but this is completely unprecedented. Right. Um, there, there is no playbook here. So it, it really is tough to say whether they're going to be profitable. Now, the one thing to keep in mind is even without food and beverage uh, and, and having that amenity on the property, the Atlantic City casinos are, are being creative here and finding new and innovative ways to still make sure that their guests have an enjoyable experience when they're here in addition to being safe. So a lot of the uh, casinos are offering takeout from their restaurants that guests are able to take up to their rooms with them if they're staying in the hotel um, or they can, they can go outside with them if the weather permits. Um, some of the properties are utilizing some of their outdoor space. And I'm going to use one as an example, uh, ocean casino resort is turning their entire portico share uh, basically into an outdoor food court. They're bringing in some food trucks and a beer truck, um, and, and they're going to try to, to, to tackle that problem that way. Um, th- the short answer to your question, uh, guys, is, is I don't know. Um, I, I think we'll kind of see how that plays out. The, the 25% capacity limit by itself, um, I don't think would have been a hindrance to them being profitable and generating revenue. I think these added restrictions that just came out on Monday, which really caught everybody by surprise, um, 
really now put it in, in, a, in a place where it's very difficult to say uh, whether this is going to be worth their time and their effort at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, you know, so, David, uh, I don't know if there's any science to back up my uh, stereotype and most people's stereotypes, but, you know, the biggest gamblers, the whales, are the ones that can really make or break the casinos at this time. And, you know, I picture that, that I picture a guy, usually. I picture a, a guy, kind of an older guy. Uh, he's got a lot of money. Uh, he dresses well. He plays table games. He likes to drink a lot. He likes to smoke a lot. And there's now no smoking at all. It's been limited previously, but now that's an issue. And, and, uh, and, and, Somewhere he takes a break during the day and has a four or five star uh, meal as well. So he yeah. can't do any of those things. So I picture A, is that guy even going to show up because he, he can't really have the experience that he wants? And then if otherwise, I'm wondering who, you know, what sort of gambler will play for hours without any food or drink or, or even smoking? I mean, you can play for two hours and then go to the Landshark Bar and Grill and get a burger and a margarita, I suppose. But um, it's not quite you know, the same. I'm just trying, yeah, I'm just trying to picture what, you know, what. What gamblers will, you know, kind of put up with this? And are they likely to spend a lot less time at the tables? That kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, and you know, you hit on a lot of valid points. And I want to throw one more in there that um, a lot of people hadn't considered. And again, this is sort of one of those things that just got lost in all of the, the avalanche of information that we've gotten over the past few weeks. Um, but, you know, New Jersey now has a recommended quarantine from certain states that are seeing a mm -hmm. spike in coronavirus cases. And, and I just left... Um, one of the Caesars entertainment properties in Atlantic City and Ron Bauman, the regional president for Caesars was telling me, um, you know, they've asked guests that are usually chartered in from those locations um, to not come right now. Yeah. So, you know, it's not only the fact that, that those whales uh, as we, as we term them, um, you know, might have a little bit of uh, a unique experience and might not be willing to, to do that. Um, some of those guys are, are actively being asked to not come at all. Um, so it really is a different ball game, and and John, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the core gambler that these casinos are trying to target um, is going to be very apprehensive to come right now for a lot of different reasons. You know, age demographic also plays into this too, right? I mean, we we know for a fact from just talking to the casino people that their their core gambler, their core player, um, is right in that that target range for most susceptible to to COVID. So, you know, there's, there's probably some, some fear and some apprehension from their normal players as well. Um, I, I don't know what to expect when I walk into the casinos tomorrow and Friday and, and throughout the course of the weekend. Um, I'm, I'm even more interested to see what they look like next week, right? I mean, w with the addition of 4th of July and the excitement of the casinos reopening, I think we're going to see, um, you know, a good crowd turnout. I, I don't expect any of the casinos to be overflowing or turning people away. But I think next week is really going to be a litmus test to, to how comfortable people are and, and how well received these uh, health and safety protocols that have been instituted are. And, and we'll see what, the, what that player looks like uh, over the next couple of days. Yeah, to, to follow up on that, uh, it's sort of that client that John was describing tends to particularly match, I think, what we see at Borgata, a little bit of a higher end, more sure. of the high rollers, and they're the ones, the one that has decided uh, not to open. Um, and, and not to mention, Borgata is a little more of a destination out in the marina. You don't uh, as easily, you know, you don't have the thing you have on the boardwalk where you're kind of walking along, not sure if you're planning to go to a casino and maybe you decide to go in. That doesn't really happen at Borgata. So maybe, maybe it right. all kind of lines up that Borgata opting not to open yet, they're the one that makes the most sense not to open yet when all that's considered. 
I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I know a lot of people were sort of surprised and shocked by Borgata's decision. I wasn't. Um, you know, they, they had planned a, a four-day invite-only uh, kind of soft opening, if you will. And, you know, let's, let's not beat around the bush. They were inviting their, their best players, and they wanted those people on the property for a couple of reasons. One, obviously they want to generate revenue, right? But two, they, they wanted those players who have an influence um, to experience what was happening on the property first. And I think the hope was that once the, the more established player kind of passed along the word to others that, yes, it's safe here. Yes, it's still fun. Um, you know, it's still Borgata. It might not be the Borgata that we're all used to, but it, it, you know, it's the same people, it's the same hosts and the same dealers. And, and there's a, there's a level of comfort there. Um, I think Borgata deciding not to um, was not only uh, a business decision on, on the part of MGM. I also think it was a little bit of a statement to the governor and, and the powers that be in the state of New Jersey, kind of telling them like, Hey, what you just did to us uh, by pulling away food and beverage and smoking and, and serving alcohol on the casino floor doesn't jive with what we're trying to do here and the experience that we're trying to create. And, you know, we're, we're not just going to generate tax revenue for you while, while you're uh, you know, handcuffing us and, and trying to make us fight with one hand tied behind our back. Right. Um, I, I think there was a little bit of that as well. Hmm. Okay. Um, so uh, a, a more positive, I guess, uh, thing that New Jersey has going for sure. it right now is the the online casino numbers. Those uh, have never been higher for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. To, to what extent do you think can the online gaming industry in New Jersey sustain Atlantic City while land-based casinos struggle? And, and also, can, can the online casino market keep growing from where it is right now? Or do you think we're kind of seeing its ceiling at this point? So I'll take your second question first. Um, no, I don't think we've seen the ceiling. I, th- I think we're going to continue to see that go up, mm-hmm. um, particularly as more of the operators here in Atlantic City um, put a focus and an emphasis on online gaming, right? I mean, two, the, the two newest players into the market, Hard Rock and Ocean, um, spent their first year or so really trying to find their footing in the market and, and get players into the property, and they didn't put as much emphasis on the online gaming component. That started to change a little bit as, as we got into 2020 and obviously COVID kind of um, accelerated that focus a little bit, if you will. Right. Um, do I think we're going to see numbers like we saw um, in, in April and May? No, but I do think we're going to see a, a growth as compared to where we were a year ago. And I think that's only going to continue. The, the first question you asked is, is the interesting one. And, and I want to, I'm going to answer it this way. Online gaming can help the Atlantic City casino operators. Does that necessarily benefit Atlantic City? They're, they're two different questions, right? But I think they're, they're, they're uh, definitely tied together. Um, there, there's been a lot of talk since online gaming was legalized in New Jersey in 2013 about will this help Atlantic City? And so far, um, I think the answer is not as much as it could. Right. And I think part of that lies on the operators because they have to incentivize that online player to get off the couch and, and get off their, their iPad or, or their computer or their, their, their phone and actually come into the property. And that's the next step of this. That's the evolution that I think the operators have uh, an opportunity here to not only promote themselves, but promote Atlantic City. So once we start seeing that, I think that dynamic changes and I think online gaming can help Atlantic City. But as it's currently constructed and as, as the model exists now, the answer to that question is no. 
Um, but it can change, and I think it will, and I think we'll start to see that in the near future. Right, let's uh, close out with Atlantic City politics, which is absolutely fascinating. Oh, my favorite. Knows that. <laughs> Particularly the mayors. Um, over the last 25, 30 years or so, a number of mayors that have um, not only left office but left uh, freedom uh, has been a little too high, I would say. Uh, I think it's more more than half. But So we got Democratic uh, Mayor Marty Small. He has a primary coming up on Tuesday, and he has the endorsement of uh, Democratic Governor Phil Murphy, who sort of, based on his handling of the uh, pandemic, has pretty high approval ratings, very high approval yep. ratings. And then you get Senator Cory Booker and Senator Robert Menendez also endorsing him, and they're Democrats. So a Democratic primary, Democratic mayor, the top three uh, Democrats in the state have all endorsed him. So that's a slam dunk, right? He's a, an easy winner. <laughs> ah, you would think, right? Um, but as in, in all things Atlantic City, nothing is as it seems. And, and uh, it is the most unique place you'll ever see. Um, so against that, against all of that that you just said, John, um, you know, the backdrop is that the state is in control of Atlantic City. Um, and I don't think it comes as any surprise to anyone uh, that that's not a very popular thing among the residents in Atlantic City. So while, uh, yes, you would think that, you know, Governor Murphy and Senator Booker and Senator Menendez's endorsement of uh, Mayor Marty Small would almost uh, guarantee a primary victory, it actually adds a little bit of a, of a wrinkle to this, right? Because now you, you have a, uh, a portion of the population who sort of looks at it and says, well, we don't want someone who's friendly with the state. We don't want someone who's, who's going to play ball the way that they want the game to be played. We want someone who's going to stand and fight. Um, and I think that that's a little unfair to Mayor Small. Um, if, you know, some people who have been following uh, the Atlantic City uh, political landscape for some time might remember that, you know, Mayor Small as a councilman um, was one of the most uh, outspoken and, and vocal critics of the state takeover. And, you know, he went to Trenton and uh, he stood side by side with, with then Mayor Don Guardian against this. And, you know, ultimately that, that didn't work. But, you know, Marty has in no way, shape or form um, wholly embraced the state being here. What he's done is, is understood that there are resources and things that the state can do for Atlantic City that benefit everyone. So he's, he's using it as an opportunity to, to better his city and, and make it a better place for the people who live there, while at the same time still remaining fiercely loyal to, to his principles and saying, we don't need the state here. But he, yeah, of course, I mean, he's, he's grateful for the endorsements that he's gotten. But in some ways, it's, 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 it's interesting because his opponents are going to use it against him. And we'll see how that plays out on Tuesday. Um, I don't have a crystal ball and, and uh, nothing is simple in Atlantic City. But I would suspect that Mayor Small wins on Tuesday. But I, I've been surprised before by Atlantic City politics, so uh, don't hold me to that one, guys. <laughs> right. Y'all, in, in this, uh, you know, in, in this realm, we always have to put things like that in the form of, of odds. You don't just uh, predict uh, you know, who's going to win. Say the, you know, my, my, minus one twenty, you're going small, something like that. But uh, that's a hard one to handicap. Right. Right? I, I don't know how I do that. Right. Yeah. A little, little complicated, but we'll see. All right. Well, it's been great talking to you, David. Uh, we'll tell our listeners that you can all find uh, David on Twitter at AC Press Danzis. Any other plugs or links uh, that uh, we should uh, sneak in here before you go? None that my employer would be happy to hear me say. <laughs> Thanks, <Gotcha>. guys. <laughs> Thanks a lot, David. Right, great talking to you. Appreciate it. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
We've now gone two straight weeks without a single win. Uh, we're officially on a cold streak, John. Uh, I threw 50 bucks in the garbage, taking a flyer on underdog boxer Leonardo Baez, and he ran out of gas and threw in the towel after the seventh round. While your pick of Justin Rose to finish in the top 20 was not your finest hour as he missed the cut and we lost $100 on that. And we didn't just go 0 for 2. We went 0 for 3 with the Cam Newton to Washington bet coming up a loser. Uh, Cam going to the Patriots cost us $50. So the ugly minus $200 week means we are now in the black by a measly 18 bucks. Uh, we also have $500 on hold in futures bets, uh, leaving us with an easy to calculate $9,518 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And I have another boxing bet, but it's not on a fight taking place in the next week. This is for a fight just announced for August 1st in England, where they're planning to put on fights without paying spectators in basically the giant backyard of promoter Eddie Hearn's mansion. Uh, And I'm getting this bet in now because... I think the books have mispriced the fight between British 154 pounders, Sam Eggington and Ted Cheeseman. Uh, Yes, those names uh, are real. It actually is cheese versus egg. Uh, The ref will be Bob McMuffin. Uh, Anyhow, uh, this is pretty much a 50-50 fight in my view and even matchup or at least close to it. But Eggington is priced as a big plus 240 underdog. And I suspect this is a case where odds makers looked at the records and not at the quality of opposition. Cheeseman has the nicer looking record. He's 15, two and one. Eggington is 28 and six. It looks on paper from that, like Eggington G's six losses. He must be the B side here. He's not. These are both guys who've done well against soft opposition and then lost when they stepped up to me. Anything over about plus 150 on Eggington is really good value. We're getting plus 240 from DraftKings, which is slightly better than Fox Bet's plus 230. Uh, so let's jump on it. 50 bucks on Eggington to win $120. All right. I do want Sir Francis Bacon as the referee. That's just me. <laughs> that would work too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. This, that was my worst golf pick ever. Uh, also a second straight PJ Tour lost off a six pick winning streak. Um, so I think it's time to revisit the fundamentals for me. Uh, you know, I've done well last year in this one, riding the new phenoms quite a bit. You know, they've refused to obey the time-honored tour tradition going back decades of respecting their elders and waiting to peak in their mid-30s. These guys are not having it. So uh, I've got to assume most of these young guns have obsessed with hard work, while established for life players like Justin Rose probably had a difficult time avoiding a mid-career pause and finally spending more time with the family. And, um, you know, good for them, but wagering is all business. So give me Fina Victor Hovland at 100 to win 120 for a top 20 at the forgettable Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit this weekend, which I won't even watch. Uh, he finished 11th here last year in his pro debut, and Hovland has flashed great signs since the tour rebooted. Um, if this one fails, uh, well, it, it, it won't fail. <laughs> okay, good. We've got the John Brennan guarantee. I like yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> a guarantee followed by a, yeah pretty much uh, it doesn't sound like a guarantee we'll see we'll, we'll we'll know next week uh and that will do it for this episode of gamble on thanks everybody out there for listening and thanks again to our guest david danzis you can find me on twitter at eric raskin and john at bergen brennan and follow us bets at us underscore bets go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on soundcloud apple Podcasts, or spotify and with that John, please light the fuse on these 4th of July fireworks and take us out. Yeah, well, you know, I wonder, is anybody out there feeling stress and 
Is anybody out there not feeling stressed? Uh, so I have a show for you that will not stress anyone out, I promise. And has many years of half-hour repeats available. Uh, it's called Cash Cab, which has comedian Ben Bailey posing as a cab driver, uh, driving all over Manhattan and stunning groups of two to four people who get in the cab, you know, not knowing what's going to happen. And they get a chance to win cash by answering trivia questions correctly. The groups tend to win 300 to $1,200 or so. But if you miss three questions, you get tossed out of the cab before they reach their destination, which is also amusing television. Um, look, the show seems heavily edited and sometimes it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but just, just suspend your disbelief and binge watch, especially off a really bad day or just too much time on antagonistic social media, which is, I guess, the same thing, really. Uh, you know, Bailey's a delight and so are the contestants whose average IQ seem to range from about 90 to 200. So, uh, but what does this have to do with gambling? You're going to ask. This is gamble on after all. Well, the thing is that each group that wins these hundreds of dollars has an option to take the money at the end or try a double or nothing video question. Now, most of these contestants are not gamblers at all. They've never wagered $100 on anything, much less $600,000, 800000 um, So what do they do with a rare chance to play for big stakes with sort of house money, free money, especially if they've nailed every or nearly every previous question? So if you haven't seen the show, you got to watch to find out. You might be surprised. Uh, and if you know the show, then you already know what they do, and you can just watch to lower your blood pressure. So with that, until next time, gamble on. <laughs>